Well, praise the Lord. Be sure I'm on here. All right, so just a few announcements this morning, and then we'll do our midweek offering and um, have a song here in just a sec. And uh, But again, it's good to be here. Good time of prayer this morning. I want to thank everyone for being involved in that and uh, being here this morning. Uh, just as a re- reminder for this week, guys, we have a revival prayer meeting at 9.30 Friday morning. And uh, so we are looking forward to being together at that time. Of course, we are currently in our wintertime schedule with our midweek service. So we're meeting here at 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, that'll change in the springtime. And I do ask you to pray for our midweek service. We'd like to see it grow. Uh, I, I can appreciate all of those that do join in later on online. Um, but, guys, we need not forsake the house of God. And uh, so I, I ask you just to pray uh, for our midweek service as we, we move into the winter time. Um, ladies' Devotion, 3rd of November, 10 o'clock, guys. Ladies' Devotion will be your next one, 3rd of November. Continue to pray for Calvary Baptist Church at Cardiff. Guys, we had another visitor this past Sunday. Uh, we did a, a leaflet drop of 7,500 leaflets. And uh, do pray that we continue to saturate our areas with the gospel and uh, with the Word of God. Our next one will probably be for our candlelight service, which I think is on the 19th of December, if my date is correct. And uh, do be in prayer for that. As you know, ours here will be on Christmas Eve, which will be a Saturday this year. And our Christmas, obviously, is on a Sunday, and so we probably will not have a service on the Sunday morning on Christmas morning. Uh, Let people spend time with their family. I know Jonathan and them are coming down, aren't they? Or maybe you're going up, aren't you? You're going up on Christmas Eve, so you won't miss Christmas Eve. Oh, boy. And uh, so, but we are looking to have a good turnout. That's, that's one of the areas that we want to really focus in on this year. Um, at the present moment, I don't know where we are with refreshments. Um, I know with our Love Light service that we're doing on the 30th of November, they've recommended no teas and coffees, um, but they're going to bring some sodas. And so uh, I'm not quite sure how that will, um, will, is panning out. But, um, but we'll check some of the guidances and the recommendations concerning any refreshments. I do also have an un- understanding to the fact that it is Christmas Eve. We come in at 5. We start at 5. We're usually done within the hour. And uh, people do want to get back with their families, which is, you know, very, uh, which is fine. And uh, we are looking forward to a good Christmas Eve service this year and uh, with plenty of time and preparatory measures uh, to get there. Amen. What a blessing. All right. So, Daniel, I'm going to ask you to come this morning as we come to give, as we graciously have received from the Lord. Make sure you give back unto him. And you got a bag over there. You can just show you've got one in your hand, buddy. You're quick, are you not? And um, so we have a song as well that we'll stand and sing our offertory song this morning. And uh, from the screen, you go ahead. Stand as we sing, crowned with many crowns.
here this morning. We're going to get back into our series today, Apostates Among Us, Apostates Among Us. We're going to cover a portion of one verse today. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 3. So, we've covered obviously thus far verses 1 and 2, and this is part 6 of our series. We will cover, actually now that I'm thinking about it, we will be looking at um, three other verses to, today, this morning, and uh, so we'll move a little further. We'll get a bigger chunk of the series done and dusted here uh, this morning. Second Peter chapter 2 and in verse 3, the Bible tells us, and, and through covetousness shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now the long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless our time together this morning in our Bible study. We pray as we continue to focus on 2 Peter chapter 2 that you would open up our minds of understanding, dear God, that we would look and mark those that we know and uh, so clearly hold to these uh, devilish and damnable heresies, Father, as apostates, Lord. And we pray that, uh, Lord, those that are under their deceitful teaching, dear God, that you would give them a reprieve. Uh, Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, you would bring the light of the glorious gospel, the truth of thy precious word, into their lives, Lord. Convict them that they may depart and not continue to be a missionary for Satan, dear God. Bringing people into these places, uh, no matter what they may be called, Father, and who teach uh, damnable heresies, those evil men waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise, and thank you for the everlasting truth that you have given us. Lord, we personally thank you, dear God, for giving us a perfect book today, uh, the precious Word of God. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. So, 2 Peter chapter 2 and looking at verse 3 this morning. The Bible tells us here, it says, And through covetousness shall they, through covetousness shall they, with fiend words, make merchandise of you. This thing's giving me a little bit of issues here this morning. And uh, nonetheless, so make merchandise of you. Now, here's what we see. We've covered covetous quite a bit, and we're gonna, we'll touch on it a little bit more here this morning. Um, but we've covered it quite a bit throughout the last, the, these other sessions. So we see here that there's, there's, a, there's a method, there's a tool uh, that these apostates will use. And the Bible says that with fiend words, with fiend words, okay? Fiend words comes from a Greek, a Greek word, plastos, plastos, which means molded, it means formed, it means uh, ash from clay or wax or stone or something along that line. And so what we understand is that these false teachers have a plan, guys. They're one who, uh, th their plan is to make people a commodity, to make them a tool, an instrument to their own benefit. This is what he's saying when he says, and through covenants shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, that you're going to be merchandise. Now, I want to take a step, not back, but I want to focus in on this point right here. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ rebukes two churches. Uh, he rebukes the church of Ephesus, which is the first church age, and the, the church age of Pergamos, which is the third church age. The word Pergamos means marriage, and we're going to see that here in just a second. Now, in between uh, the Ephesian church age and the Pergamian church age, you have the church age known as the Smyrnian church age or the church age of Smyrna. The only two churches that Jesus Christ did not rebuke or only two church ages 
that he did not rebuke was the Smyrnian church age and the Philadelphian church age. And we know the Philadelphian church age is the church age of brotherly love, and it was the greatest of all uh, seven church ages that are there. We unfortunately are not in that age. We're in the one, uh, the last one, which is the Laodicean church age, uh, which is not good. But the Smyrnian church age, guys, um, it, it began at the close of the Ephesian church age in AD 200, and it ran till 325 AD, uh, 325 AD. Smyrnian church age existed between what is noted in history as the 10 official Roman persecutions which slaughtered the saints of God by thousands upon thousands upon thousands, if not millions. But the more they killed, the more Christians they killed, the more Bible believers they killed, the more they hunted them down and slaughtered them, which are our forefathers as Baptist guys, the more they did so, the more the church multiplied. If you ever have the time to read through Fox's Book of Martyrs or another record called Martyrs Mirrors, uh, you'll begin to find that the Roman Empire carries out a desperate warfare with an attempt to wipe out every single Christian from the face of the planet. And yet the result of it was multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. So when Constantine took over the Roman Empire, became his, you know, took over his Roman emperorship uh, in 313 A.D., the onslaught continued. The, the, the onslaught, the murders, the, uh, the attack on Christians continued. However, he began to work in bringing, uh, bringing Christians in through bribery. All right? He began to see that he saw the handwriting on the wall. I mean, he looked at, at, a, at, a, at a time period, which we know it lasted more than just uh, you know, 125 years, which is that Smyrnian church age. I mean, they started slaughtering Christians early, early on and continue to do so. And for, and for the same uh, fact of the matter, they're still doing it today. But Constantine began to say, hang on a second here. I'm, I need, we need to slow down on the physical attack. Let's try to bribe these Christians. And his actions actually brings an end to the church age of Smyrna by opening up the doorway to the third church age in 325 A.D., so hence the title when you look at that Smyrnian church age. Smyrna means myrrh. Uh, myrrh is, a, is a, an incense, and myrrh is very bitter to the taste. But if you take myrrh and you crush myrrh, it sends forth a sweet savor, a sweet smell. And that's what we find. That Smyrna church age was crushed physically. They were attacked. They were slaughtered. They were killed. But they sent forth a sweet savor unto God because they stood their ground. No rebuke whatsoever for the Smyrnian church age. So the Roman Empire set out to crush the church, murdering millions, yet they sent forth a sweet-smelling Savior to God. And therefore, we find that uh, Christianity was multiplied through the blessed hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. So back to Pergamos now, or maybe I should say forward to Pergamos. These two church ages, the first one, the Ephesian church age, the third one, the Pergamian church age, Jesus Christ rebukes them for a particular reason. Now, the Pergamos church age Constantine said, hang on a second, this killing, this onslaught, this persecution, this is not working. We're killing one and a thousand are popping up. They're multiplying left and right for everyone that we're slaughtering. So he said, you know what, I'm going to start trying to bribe these people. And so in AD 327, he forms a church-state union. Remember, where did he do it? From the city of Pergamos, yeah? So Pergamos, what was the, what was the, uh, the Bible tells us in, in that same chapter that where Satan's seat dwells, right? Well, Satan's seat literally moved from Rome all the way to Pergamos, all right? What did that word Pergamos mean? What did I tell you a moment ago? It means marriage. So what happened was a state church, pseudo-church, if you will, through bribery, union, an adulterous marriage, all right, if you will, was formed between the state and the church, do you understand? This was the establishment of the Catholic institution. 
All right? It's not a Catholic church. They are not a church. They are not built upon the basis of a local, local called-out assembly of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who meet for the propagation of the gospel of Christ. They do not believe the same things the Bible teaches. They worship Mary and treat her as a, a co-redemptress. I mean, you could just recite the rosary, you know, Hail Mary, Mother of God, okay? All right, so so when, when you look at this, they, their whole doctrine is based on Roman paganism. They just changed from... Uh, uh, paganism to papalism it was a change of words so what 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 does that tie in how does that tie into our false teachers how does that tie in through covetous and through these vain words making merchandise of you revelation chapter 2 verse 15 the second rebuke jesus christ himself says so hast thou also then that hold to the doctrine of the nicolaitans now watch those last four words revelation 2 15 which thing I hate. This is Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind, the creator of all things, who makes it very clear which thing I hate. What does Jesus Christ hate? He hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, all right? Now, this word here, Nicolaitans, we understand, uh, is a transliteration. So, Nico is a transliteration of Nikao. Nikao, which means to conquer. Laetans or laity is from the word laos, L-A-O-S, which means the lay people. You put the word together, what is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? To conquer the lay people, okay? So the deeds, and again, you'll see that later on, the deeds of the same doctrine of the Nicolaitans would be to conquer the lay people. And the context here is clearly that the clergy were conquering or ruling over the laity of the church. They were ruling over them, okay? They, they, were, they, were being, uh, uh, they were ruling lords over God's heritage, if you will. And these deeds are the works uh, which make the clergy a special class of people, a special priesthood, which completely and 100% violates okay, the doctrine that the Bible holds and we hold to as the priesthood of the believer. Okay? It is the priesthood of the believer. As Peter says, we are a we are royal priesthood. He's not talking about pastors and priests and stupid word vicar uh, and the pope. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about every saved, born-again individual today, all right, are a royal priesthood. You guys just proved that here moments ago during our prayer meeting, did you not? When you prayed, you didn't, you didn't come up here and, and get behind a guy or, or kiss some dude's ring or whatever and say, hey, will you make these prayers? You didn't do that. You prayed and you prayed and I prayed, right? so that our prayers may go before the throne of God. That's what a priesthood is. That's what the, the royal priesthood, the priesthood of the believer, guys, gives us personal access to the throne of grace. But the deans of the Nicolaitans was, uh, was not to rule the people spiritually, but to conquer them, if you will. Something that we're not supposed to do. A select group of, of priests were not meant to conquer the people spiritually. By dominating them and being a Lord of God's heritage. You're in 2 Peter. Turn over just one. Well, it should be on the other page. 1 Peter chapter 5. You may have to turn a page. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 says, The elders, and that's speaking of a bishop, a pastor here, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither, listen to this, neither being uh, lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, it's in black and white here that an elder, a bishop, a pastor of a church, okay, he's never called priest, he's never called a vicar in the Word of God, not one time, okay? Why? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and we become a royal priesthood as believers. Clearly told right here that you're not to rule over God's heritage, to be a lord over God's heritage. That has nothing to do with pastoral authority. Pastoral authority is within the church. It's an administrative position that God has given. But you don't rule over someone's spirituality. And we have find that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which rears its ugly head a second time in that same church age, of which the Catholic institution, that fourth century, was uh, instituted, which was established, which it was created. Peter didn't live to be 400 years old, so he couldn't have been the first pope as they, they tried to lie and, and, and do the way they uh, lie and say that he did. So the, this doctrine, guys, of the Nicolaitans, is devised to conquer the people. It's molded, if you will, back to the word fiend words. It's molded and shaped to control the lay people. The Pergamos Church Age, guys, uh, ran from 8325 to 8500, and we know what came in in 8500, did we not? The Dark Ages began for a thousand years. There was no movement whatsoever. Baptists, our forefathers as Bible believers and Baptists, went underground uh, as the persecution continued to, uh, to uh, move forward. And um, so this same doctrine, this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the whole reason I brought this point in, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, guys, are the, is the very same doctrine that is taught by apostates today. Apostates that are among us today conquering the lay people all for one reason to conquer the people this is what jude says jude says concerning these fiend words in verse 16 he says these are murmurers complainers walking after their own lust and their mouth speaketh great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage walking after their own lust he says we've already covered this in grave detail, when we cover the aspect of sensual perversion associated with false teachers, there's always, they're led by their senses, if you will. That's what sensuality means. But there's a sensual perversion that's always associated with false teachers. They're always guilty of it. Jude Ford tells us that uh, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means unbridled lust, guys. They're living according to their senses. That's what these false teachers do. That's what these apostates do. Now, here's what I'm saying. Are you, you're, you're probably sitting here now listening and saying, so you mean to tell me that everyone are in these high positions, as vicars, priests, and whatever, in these institution, institutions that uh, were rooted and grounded in the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, every one of them are living according to their senses. I'm going to tell you, yeah. Yes. Guys, it's no different than the Masons and the Shriners, okay? Sure, there are people that joined the Masonic, the Masonic Lodge, and, and guys, they got in on the, you know, the inner of the apprentice, and they go through the first couple of levels, and maybe they're a bit clueless as to really and truly what the background is, and it's just a brotherhood of people, blah, 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 blah. By the time you get into, you start taking these oaths, 
that you're taking an oath that if anyone divulged the secrets of, their, of, the, of the Masonic Lodge or the Shriners, that you would cut them asunder uh, for the ravenous birds of the East to eat out their end. When you take an oath like that, you're clueless somehow one way or another, or you're a Satan worshiper. Don't tell me you're not part of a Luciferian movement and you just don't know. No, that's a lie, guys. You do know, unless you're just daft beyond all reality. You know there's something wrong. You're not going to get into the higher levels and become a vicar of these organizations or a priest and go through the seminary teachings they teach and say, and then look at the Bible and say, wait a second here, something is not adding up. I just showed you four verses a moment ago, really and truly one of them, that completely breaks down the entire doctrine of the Catholic institution and the C of E, Church of England, the Anglican, the motherhood of the all Anglican religions. I just showed you one verse right here that breaks them down, and that's First, that's first Peter 5, verse 3. Neither being lords over God's heritage. I showed you another verse, Revelation 2, verse 15, which the doctor of the Nicolaitans, which means to conquer the lay people, which thing I hate. There's another verse that tells us that there is one man, one man, uh, or uh, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's our only mediator. Peter also said that we're a royal priesthood. We have access to heaven, to the heavenly throne of grace today, okay? And yet we find that the grace of our God, according to Jude, according by these false teachers today, who are willingly being deceived and going forth deceiving others, they've turned the grace of, the grace of our God into lasciviousness, unbridled lust, living according to their senses. So we see the word today also in 2 Peter about covetousness. We see that they're walking after their own lust. Peter uses this phrase. Peter says, through covetousness shall they with fiend words. All right? So the covetousness is theirs. Because of their own covetousness of what they want to gain and what they want to gather, whether it be just um, adoration, whether it be financial power, whether it be whatever, anything. It's through their own covetousness, linked with this lasciviousness, they will use fiend words. They will form and devise words meant for one singular purpose, not to uplift the people, but to conquer them. Now, you may say, well, how are they conquering? Sometimes they're, conquer they're conquering them through sheer comfort and convenience as opposed to conviction. When they get up and they preach for 9 to 11, 12 minutes, uh, uh, a sermon that has absolutely zero content in it to make you feel good in the sin that you're in. You know what they're doing? They're conquering you and they're linking you and locking you, I should rather say, locking you into a destiny into hell because they refuse to give the truth, guys. They're formed, devised words meant to conquer the lay people through their damnable heresies. And it's all a result of their own personal covetousness. So, Jude uses covetousness. Then he's saying that their mouth are speaking great swelling words. Great swelling words. This great swelling here, it, it, comes, from a, it comes from a Greek word, and it means overswollen. It means immoderate. It means extravagant. These, their words, guys, are swollen, but they're empty. They're empty words. Guess, who, guess where this, the other places this same word appears? Look back in your Bible there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. So may have to turn the page. 2 Peter chapter 2. Notice what Peter says. For when they speak, watch this, great swelling words of vanity, the allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped 
from them who live in error. Same statement, guys. Words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Empty words, overswollen, just like a balloon that may appear large and grandiose, but they're empty and they're rooted and grounded in their own personal lust, their own personal gain. Why? This is why we have to ask ourselves. Why? Well, Jude tells us in the latter part of verse 16, um, in the latter part of verse 16, he says, um, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. What does Peter say? Peter says in uh, uh, verse 3, he says, to make merchandise of you, okay? Their listeners, guys, listen carefully here. Their listeners, their followers are nothing more than a commodity to them. That's all they are. A cattle call. No love, no compassion, no sacrifice. John chapter 10, verses 12 through 13 tells us, but he that is a hireling uh, and not the shepherd, uh, whose own sheep are, um, are not, seeth the wolf coming, and the leave of the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. False teachers today have no concern whatsoever, no concern whatsoever for the sheep they're only concerned with what benefit they're going to re- receive. And those benefits, again, like I've already mentioned, could be accolades. It could be, uh, you know, achievements. It could be prestige, uh, uh, having, a, uh, you know, the pews filled and their numbers and their name and, and these stepping stones into the corporate ladder that we see in these institutions today that are rooted and grounded in damnable heresies. They are false teachers. Now, again, guys, you may meet some of them and they say, oh, they're just, they're nice, they're sweet, they're this, they're that. Again, I go right back to the Garden of Eden. If you think, for instance, today, for one thing at all, uh, that Satan was something hideous when he showed up in the Garden of Eden, uh, you're fooling yourself. Uh, there, there was a level of comfort that was found. There was something that was attractive, and not only of that tree, uh, but there was something attractive that was there that allowed Eve to walk up and say, hey, what's going on, you know, and have this little chat with him, you know. So that's verse 3. That's what we see very clearly in the first part of verse 3, the first half of it. These fiend words making merchandise used, these overswollen words that are formed and directed as with clay or with, uh, with metal or stone. They're formed for a particular person, and that is to make merchandise of the people, to conquer the people. They are rooted and grounded in the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, of which Jesus Christ says, I hate. So the rest, the next part of the verse in verse 3, we're almost finished here. I'm going to ask you to turn here in just a moment. We'll finish verse 3. It says, Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Here's what we need to understand very clearly, that Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is making us understand that eternal judgment will soon fall upon every single apostate. Just as there is a comparison between the false prophets in the Old Testament and the false teachers of the New Testament, God uses this chapter. He uses the next few verses here. He instructs Peter to write verses 4 through 6 using the examples of God's judgment uh, in the Old Testament, making it very clear that if he spared not the the angels, the old world, and Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah, then the false teachers shall suffer the very same demise. God's judgment upon the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is going to come upon these false teachers just like it did the angels who sinned, the old world, and Sodom and Gomorrah. So look at verse 4 with me real quick, and then I'm going to have you turn to Genesis chapter 6 and Jude 6. Genesis 6 and Jude 6. And uh, i tell you what we'll do is we'll go to Jude first after we hit uh, verse 4 of 2 Peter. So 2 Peter chapter 2, and you're looking at verse 4, says, For if God spared not the angels all right, that sinned, 
but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So if you mark in your Bibles, guys, you're going to write out from verse 4 right there, you're going to write Jude 6 and Genesis 6. So Jude 6, uh, 2 Peter 2 verse 4 and Genesis 6 are all linked together. Jude 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate. That those, are, those are they who sinned in 2 Peter 2, verse 4. But left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains un, uh, under darkness unto the day of judgment of that great day. To the judgment of that great day. So now we go back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. All right? So 2 Peter 2, 4 says angels that sin. Jude 6 says angels that left their first estate. Now we go to Genesis 6, and we know very clearly who these individuals are. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 1, And it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So the offspring of these angels, and again, uh, I know I've said this several, several, several times, um, the sons of God in Genesis 6 are the sons of God. They are angels, just like there are angels in Job chapter 1, and Job chapter 2, and Job 32. Hey, when you, you, you can't pick and choose. As a matter of fact, the first time it shows up here, uh, people want to say, well, this, is the, uh, this must be the sons of Seth. Well, who is that in, Genesis, who is that in Job chapter 1 and 2? Well, they're angels. Common sense and, and belief in the Word of God, we know they're angels. They're not the sons of Seth. That is, in my opinion, that is a biblically illiterate interpretation, and if someone believes that, they are a Bible critic to the nth degree. These are angels in Genesis 6. They're the same. They're angels in Job 1 and 2, and they're angels in Jude 6, and they're angels in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Okay? These are the ones. It makes it very clear who exactly uh, they are, guys. The angels that sin, the angels that left the first estate, da-da-da, Genesis chapter 6, okay? So that's chapter 4. So here's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying that, okay, we've, we have the sons of God, heavenly creatures, procreate with the daughters of the man, took them wives of who they chose because they uh, were fair. They had a vile and wicked and perverted offspring known as a nephilim giants if you will in the earth not a giant like goliath at nine and a half foot tall but literal giants i mean big tall giants 20 feet tall giants men of renown in that period of time and because of the wickedness that was in that land because of this these angels that left their first estate the imagination of all mankind was evil continually and it repented god that he he created man and therefore he found a, a righteous man noah who was righteous and who was uh, perfect in his generations the bible says that means he was perfect in his genetics that his genetics had not been marred by the sons of God, this supernatural uh, mixed creatures, that, if you will, okay, that was a devil, just like you find with Judas Iscariot. He, he was a supernatural creature. He was a devil, okay? Uh, he's a devil, he's a devil uh, uh, that's mentioned also in Revelation, uh, if you will, who has the keys to the bottomless pit. He went to his own place. We'll leave that for another time. So we understand that's a supernatural creature, but not Noah and his family. 
They were perfect in generation, so God chose him to be a preacher for 120 years. He preached the word of God. He preached uh, um, judgment that was coming, judgment that was coming. People mocked him out, laughed him to scorn. And he's preaching on something that's never happened before. Think about it for a second. Nary a raindrop had ever, had ever dropped for 1,996 years. The water came that, that nourished the ground came from the deep below. You understand? No raindrop. You still had the canopy around the earth that you did, uh, the canopy of water that was around the earth. That's why people were living 900 years, if you will. Uh, that's one of the reasons that you're finding. The uh, health was much different back then. But then sin continued to multiply, 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 multiply. And God said, you know what? It's going to rain. Matter of fact, I'm going to flood the whole earth. I'm going to destroy all flesh. Except for Noah and his family and the selected animals, if you will. Okay? The very same, so God is saying, if he spared not the angels that caused that mess, you think he's going to spare these false teachers? Think about it, guys. God, our creator, is putting false teachers, okay? Evil men wax and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those who teach a false doctrine, let's just call it what it is, a Catholic and, a, and an Anglican doctrine. Those that hold to those doctrines and teach those things. He's putting them at the very same level of why he destroyed the earth by a flood. Now that's not going to be popular with people, but that's Bible. The Bible's not interested in being popular. It's interested in being believed. All right? So that's verse 4 in 2 Peter chapter 2. Look in verse 5 with me, another comparison that he uses. We go back to Genesis 6 yet again. So now he speaks of the angels that had sinned, okay? And now in verse 5, he says here, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. All right? So we go back to Genesis 6 yet again. All right? And so verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and he repented the lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart and the lord said i will destroy man whom i have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air for repented repenteth me that i have made them but noah found grace in the eyes of the lord now we thought we know the rest of the story he makes an ark to go for it preached for 120 years Rain began to fall, and everybody, everybody mocked Noah to the scorn, laughed him and didn't believe him until the first raindrop fell, right? Until the first raindrop fell. So the comparison we have here, guys, Genesis chapter um, 6 with Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, again, God is putting the wickedness and the continual evil imaginations of mankind in Genesis 6, putting it right together with the guys who come and are false teachers today. And lastly, we see in verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter um, 2. Verse 6 says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. All right? Of course, we understand him. Verse 7 talks about delivering just Lot, who vexed his filthy uh, who was uh, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked and all this and that. So there we go from there to Genesis 19. 
Genesis 19, and we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but Genesis 19, uh, you know, the Bible says there in Genesis 19, 1, and there came two angels uh, to Sodom at even, and Lot uh, sat at the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, arose uh, to meet them, and he bowed himself uh, in his, with his face uh, toward the ground, and he said, Behold, now my lords, turn in, I pray you, uh, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and they did bake unleavened bread, and did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Pure, unadulterated, unbridled, wickedness, perversion, and lust. Do you understand? And of course, we know the rest of the story. Verse 13 says, And we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lust of the flesh and the pride of life was the guilty, the, the, was the leading uh, um, factors with the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. They became prideful in their sin. It, it, it was more than just sin. The cry that went before the Lord was pure, unadulterated wickedness of the acts that they were committing every day, unbridled sin and the pride of their sin. And therefore, the reason, because of their sin, do you understand? The sin they committed and the reason they were committing it. God destroyed the Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. Delivered just Lot. He was the only one. So as we see, guys, the apostates that are among us today, the apostates that are living, walking the streets, that are taking pulpits every single Sunday, every single, maybe a midweek service, I don't know, but these apostates that are teaching damnable heresies. And we've already went over the damnable heresies. We've gone over baptismal regeneration, infantile baptism. We've gone over Calvinism. We've gone over all of those things that are damnable heresies that are being taught in these places. The doctor of the Nicolaitans brought in only to conquer the lay people. God says, you know what? I'm treating you just like Sodom and Gomorrah, the vile acts that they committed and then wanted to commit against two angels, if you will. I'm going to treat you just like the evil people, the evil population of the world uh, during Noah's time, whose, whose continual imaginations, the created images in their mind, were evil continually, nonstop, just pure wickedness. I'm going to treat you just like the ones who knew better and left their first estate, the angels that sinned, who are locked away awaiting the day of judgment in darkness right now under the river Euphrates. So if I spared not them... I'm not going to spare the apostates. So false teachers are put on the same parallel line of those three major events in the Old Testament. Just where the false prophets are, just where the false teachers are, just where the angels that sinned are, just where Sodom and Gomorrah suffered, and just like the old world suffered. Now, guys, you know what I say to that today? That's some serious business. The Lord Jesus Christ takes his word seriously. And those who correct it, those who, uh, who make modern perversions out of it, try to improve on it, those who say, well, we just had the thoughts of God. Those who teach damnable heresies are going to be held accountable in judgment alongside those that are in Sodom, those that died and perished in Sodom, those who 
those angels that sin, and those who perish in the old world who, may, who are awaiting judgment to this day. That's the seriousness of being an apostate. That's the, that's the outcome, man. That's the judgment. And my fear today, apostates are done. They're not Christians. They've rejected God. They've rejected his word. But it's those who are sitting under them. Those that are go for their, their tick box ceremony on a Sunday morning. Those who go to sing. Oh, we get to sing the old, you know, we get to get in there and sing and all this and that. And yet sit underneath some damnable teaching. That's the sad part. Our prayer needs to be today to awaken people out of their slumber. Awaken them out of their sleep and their, uh, their if you will, cruise control in a spiritual life. And bring the everlasting truth and get them out of these places. Get them out of them. And not allow them, guys, if you will, to continue to be a missionary for Satan, drawing other people in to the teaching of Danville heresies. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, to Lord, to preach your word. I pray that you would just write it upon the table of our heart. We thank you, dear God, for what you have given us. An eye-opening teaching, Lord, from Second Peter chapter 2. And I pray, dear God, that it would strengthen our foundation of faith in the Word of God. That, Lord, we would begin to look deep inside of what um, you have given us and how you have bestowed upon us the greatest gift mankind would ever receive, the gift of salvation. So we thank you for that. And we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you bless the rest of this day. Keep us safe. Uh, Lord, keep us productive and watch over each and every one of us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. All right. So Thank I hope you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraham. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head 
and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.